All right, good morning. Good to see you today. This is our final sermon in our four-week series answering the question, what is the church? So we've been answering this question with statements about Jesus as he is the crucial part of the church. Last week we looked at how the church is described as a body in the Bible. So Jesus is the head of the body. We've also talked about how Jesus' church finds their identity in Jesus, in Jesus alone. So though we are pulled to find value in what other people say about us or the possessions that we own, Jesus' church is intended to care solely about what Jesus says about us. We've also talked about Jesus' church being the light of the world. And so though darkness is pervasive, and when I'm saying darkness, I'm talking spiritually, okay? So sin and brokenness, though darkness is pervasive in this world, we as followers of Jesus or those trusting in Jesus possess true light. And the true light is actually Jesus himself. And this light then is for the watching world to see and encounter in and through our lives. Today we conclude this series by looking at the statement that Jesus' church is the sheep of Christ. The sheep of Christ. That's kind of a churchy statement, huh? But uh, we'll try and unpack that a little bit here for us this morning. Before we jump into that, though, let's remind ourselves why we are answering the question, what is the church? So first of all, we're answering this question to provide a biblical basis and clarity regarding Jesus' church. What does the Bible say about it? So we want to be clear about who or what Jesus' church is, who this church is about, the functions that we have if we are part of this church, the priority it is to take in our lives. So really it's about what what we're doing in this series is helping us have a biblical ecclesiology, Okay, so that's a fancy theological word, but behind ecclesiology is the Greek word ekklesia, and that's a Greek word for church. And so really we want to have an understanding or a belief of what the church is in line with what the Bible teaches it ought to be. And where this then ultimately leads us is to have Jesus front and center in our lives, letting him be our priority to increasingly orient our lives around Jesus. Okay, then secondly, to fight individualism and self-sufficiency. So we will find swarms of hope and joy in and through our church if our church is focused on Jesus. If we function in such a way to make church about us, the church will continually disappoint us. The intention was never for us to view church like Burger King instructed its customers, to have it your way. That's not what Jesus said when he invoked, created the church. Our joy is found in locating our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, not in us getting what we want. Okay, so let's forge ahead by looking at how Jesus' church is the sheep of Christ. So I'm going to read from John chapter 10 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there if you'd like, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our shepherd. I pray that you would help us to see that, but not just to see that, but to believe that. Help us also to understand who we are as sheep. What that means for us in terms of following Jesus. In terms of our capacity, our strength, and the lack thereof. So God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts this morning? Would you do something in us that we cannot manufacture in and of ourselves? We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to observe what we can learn about sheep and what we can learn about the shepherd as well. And just to ensure there's clarity here about what what we're talking about, the shepherd and the sheep, okay? The good shepherd is Jesus, all right? There's no other one. No one else in here. It's not the pastor of the church. The good shepherd is Jesus, okay? And the sheep are Jesus' followers, The sheep are Jesus' church. Okay, so let's start by making a few observations about the sheep. First of all, sheep are generally viewed as vulnerable. They are not ferocious. Rather, they're oftentimes described as weak or needing help in many situations. And this is true here as well, what we're reading in John 10. Simply the fact that they need someone to protect them implies this reality. These verses talk about threats coming in at the sheep that could result in death or destruction for them. So clearly there is danger in view here for the sheep being talked about. And as we think about this in terms of Jesus' church, those who follow Jesus, they face spiritual danger. But more importantly than that reality is that Christians are a people who need help. Christians are a people who need help. We are spiritually weak. Physically weak as well, but spiritually weak. We need a protector, a savior. What the Bible teaches over and over and over again is that we cannot save ourselves. Though we oftentimes think maybe we can. Maybe we can do something today to aid in that. But we can't. So we've got to understand we cannot save ourselves. We are vulnerable, vulnerable to sin, vulnerable to lies, to lies like we can add to what Jesus has already done for us. We can't. 
We can't add to what Jesus has done. We're vulnerable to lies that tell us we can find contentment in many things that are not Jesus. But we can only find satisfaction in Jesus. Spiritually speaking, we need a guide. We need someone to lead us. We need someone to speak words of hope and comfort to us repeatedly. We need someone to rescue us. In the Old Testament, there's a well-known psalm, Psalm 23, that speaks about this sheep and shepherd dynamic. And we read there in that chapter, the individual writing, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. So the rod was a club. Okay, it was a club that was used to fend off animals, to fend off threats that were targeting the sheep. Okay, that was what the rod was used for. And then the staff, the staff is what we oftentimes think about with the staff, kind of that long pole, right? And it's got kind of the, the loop or the, the question mark at the end. That, that's what the staff was. And, and that would be used at times to pull the sheep back into the flock when they are wandering or maybe to nudge the sheep in the right direction if they're starting to go in a wrong direction. So I think oftentimes maybe we've read Psalm 23, and we think that those were tools that induced fear, right? Like, like you get out of line and you're going to get whooped, kind of a thing. But, but it says in there, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the intention of what the shepherd is seeking to do. And so with Jesus as well, what he is doing is he is offering protection. And I think as we're here today, when we talk about feeling weak and vulnerable, I know that we all feel this in a variety of ways. Differently for all of us, for sure, but we feel this in different ways. So we have unresolved conflict in relationship. Some of us, maybe all of us, do at some level. Our health is failing or is a struggle for us. Our kids rebel against us. Money might be short. Plenty of us are tired. We're busy. Maybe we've had technology break down for us, and that's been really frustrating for us. The reality is, we feel the physical weakness. But this is pointing to something greater that's true for all of us. And that's spiritual weakness, spiritual vulnerability. And that is true for all of us. So as sheep, as we're reading here in John 10, we are weak. We are vulnerable. Okay, secondly, Jesus' sheep are also treasured and valued. We read in verse 11 here in John 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the shepherd is willing to endure personal loss or cost for the safety of the sheep. And this is what we see exemplified in the life of Jesus. He is willing to suffer, willing to eschew comfort, to throw off his own comfort so that his church will be saved from their ultimate enemy, sin, and from ultimate destruction, hell. And he does this because he places a worth on his sheep that communicates, you are loved. You are cherished. 
And we're going to talk about this a bit more from the shepherd's side. But the sheep in this picture are deeply cared for. Those who are Jesus' church, his sheep, are deeply, sacrificially loved. There is a worthiness attached to his sheep that's there, even while they are deemed simultaneously as being weak. This is a beautiful picture, right? Jesus' church isn't loved because of what they have to offer. They are loved in spite of what they don't have to offer. So, so this is a really beautiful picture. Sheep are vulnerable and valued. Weak and worthy. That those two things don't seem to connect in our culture, right? There's this quote that I come back to every once in a while. Tim Keller former pastor, he wrote this. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in, our sil- in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are more sinful, more flawed, more vulnerable than we could ever imagine. And we are more loved by Jesus than we could ever imagine as well. Jesus' sheep are loved even though that love is costly, which actually then demonstrates the true quality of the love. So this is a beautiful, comforting reality that we are vulnerable yet valued. And I want to just speak here briefly to something that natu- that's natural for us to feel. And really, I'm just going to kind of add on to what Brett was saying with our gospel primer this morning. So much of what we encounter on a daily basis is our value, our approval, our worth is transactional. That we have to perform well to keep someone's love. If we don't perform well, then we are disapproved or we are not loved, at least not loved to the same extent. And we can tend to base our love, our acceptance, our value on our performance. It's just built into the fabric of our culture. This is not the picture we get here of the sheep. If you're a Christian, you need to let this way of thinking that your acceptance is based on your performance, you need to let that die. Not just let it die, but bury it. Completely bury it. You are loved in spite of your failing. You are loved in spite of your weakness. You are loved in spite of the fact you are not enough in and of yourself. And this is really good news. The best news in the world. I was thinking about this being a parent. Right? Like it's... It's so easy to snap at my kids when they don't act in the way that I've told them to act a thousand times, right? But this is the same picture for me with God, right? Like there's this reality of gracious, patient correction that my kids need to see over and over and over so that they can get glimpses, far from perfect, but glimpses of who God is and how he deals with us 
as well. Okay, let's move now from sheep to shepherd. Okay, because this is what's really crucial to the statements that have already been made. So we read in verse 7, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep. So this is what a sheepfold or a, a pen maybe would look like in the first century. And it depicts the shepherd being the door. So what's happening here is no one's going to come in or nothing's going to come in without the shepherd allowing that to happen, right? And, and nothing's going to come out of there without the shepherd allowing that sheep to come out. Verse 9 also reads this way, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So what we read here is, as it talks about being saved, right, the shepherd is a savior. That's his job. It's not our job as sheep to save ourselves. The shepherd is our savior. He is also the key to rest and provision. So when it talks about pasture here, pasture infers a place that is safe. A place where the needs of the sheep are provided for. And that's being provided for by the shepherd. And Jesus says it's a place where they can go in and out. Okay, so there's a freedom here as well in that place. So Jesus, this is what he provides for us as the door. Rest and safety and protection and provision. This is what he's doing as our shepherd. So part of what's inferred is he protects his sheep from that which is dangerous. And this is also seen as Jesus is described as a good shepherd, okay? He is a good shepherd. So because we're physical beings and too often disregard our spiritual selves, we can tend to read this next section as purely physical. But to read this next section purely physically won't align with with the rest of the Bible. So we've got to be able to read this next section spiritually as well. So there's a comparison being drawn here uh, between a hired hand and a shepherd, right? Between thieves and robbers and a shepherd. And so I'm just going to throw up this diagram. And I saw this, I actually saw this uh, at Hiawatha Church. And I just thought this is, just sums it up so well. So, um, this is, this is kind of the comparison that's going on here between these two parties. So hired hands, they lead sheep to death. Jesus leads sheep to full, abundant life, both now and eternally. Hired hands come to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus leads, provides for, and protects the sheep. Hired hands abandons the sheep when danger comes. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Huge disparity here, right? Hired hands are going to run away. Jesus is going to stay. He's going to lay his life down for his sheep. Hired hands care nothing for the sheep, using them for personal gain. Jesus knows the sheep by name, giving up his life for the sheep's gain. So we've got to see the picture here of Jesus and his goodness, okay? Hired hands are not good, but Jesus is good. 
and he is going to protect us from spiritual danger. Okay, and I want to capitalize on this last depiction we get of Jesus. In verse 11, Jesus makes a statement that was referenced earlier, but let me read it again. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, so this is a primary way in which we see the goodness of Jesus. Him laying down his life for his sheep. And this is how we understand his love exceeding the love of anyone else in our lives or in this world. Okay, because he is willing to lay his life down for us. And, and I think the key word here is he's willing to die to save us. Right? There, there's lots of times when we, we maybe don't feel willing or maybe we're begrudging right, in the way that we want to love someone. But Jesus is running into the fight. Okay? He's pursuing us, chasing us, running into the darkness. He's willing to go to the place of death for us. Okay, so John fifteen thirteen says this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So what's conveyed in, these ver- or in this verse is that the shepherd has a deep love for the sheep. And we speak confidently of being loved, not because we've obeyed Jesus' rules. That's not, what, not why we're confident of Jesus' love. It's because of who Jesus is. That's why we're confident. It's dependent on him, not on us. Now, in our everyday lives, we likely feel how expressions of love can be trite. Even from our spouses, right? That's true from time to time. A spouse might say, I love you, but regularly fail or infrequently uh, fail to to show us this reality of love. So Jesus did not stop at mere words, though, though he does repeatedly express this in his words towards his sheep, his followers, but he demonstrated his love through his actions. For sure, his death on the cross. We see that in an ultimate way as he dies on the cross, but other ways as well. As he would spend long days caring for people, when he was exhausted, still giving of himself for those around him, for those who actually were his enemies at that time. Also, the way he would patiently bear with people who were hurting him, healing people, and his willingness to speak truth graciously when it maybe would have been easy for him to just lash out at somebody, but he displays patience, and he speaks a kind, gentle word. So for us, Jesus' love cannot be overstated. Jesus' love cannot be overstated. Our consistent consideration of Jesus' love is never intended to numb us to it. And and we do try to talk about his love, his grace, his kindness on the regular here at Center Church, but not because we want to numb you to it or minimize it, make it less impactful in any way. Nor do we want to embolden you to presume upon his love. That's not what we're trying to do as well. We want you 
and me to understand his love is not cheap. It came at a significant cost. His life, his love for us is consequential. And in this then, the hope is that we feel it. It grips us and begins to inform and shape every part of who we are. That it's not just a flippant thought, oh yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my parents told me when I was a little kid, or whatever it is. No, that it would actually grip the deepest parts of us and shape us and form us profoundly to do things that we in our flesh, in our sinfulness, would never do. To make sacrifices, to give things up, to deny our preferences. And we have to understand how Jesus' love is continually better than what we experience in our everyday. So often in this dynamic we're describing, we might experience someone's love as patronizing, right? Like someone is patting us on the head a little bit, or maybe rolling their eyes at our repeated foolishness, exasperated by on our ongoing mistakes or our failures. But that's not the picture we get here of Jesus. It's not how our good shepherd functions. So there's this story in the Gospels uh, where children are coming to Jesus, right? And his disciples are like, no, 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 don't. Don't come to Jesus. Like he's got more important things to do. I'm ad-libbing here a little bit, right? This is Kevin's paraphrase, all right? But, But don't go to Jesus. He's got other things to do. We've got to protect him from the little kids. And what does Jesus say? He says, come to me. He, he wants the little children to come to him. The children who probably think they know more than they actually do. The children who probably think they know better than their parents at times, who act foolishly. This is what sheep do, right? Sheep are foolish. And he says, come to me. Not once you've got your stuff figured out. Not once you've cleaned yourself up. Just come to me as you are. Come to me. He is patient, truly patient and loving and kind. Okay. So these are some pictures that we get of good shepherd and sheep. But what what does this actually mean for Center Church? What does it mean that uh, we're vulnerable yet valued? So I've got three statements here I want to make about what this means for us. First of all, this means that we boast in Jesus, not ourselves. We boast in Jesus, not ourselves. We are weak individuals. Ultimately, our weakness, our needing to be saved by someone outside of ourselves displays you and I have nothing to boast about. Nothing whatsoever. 1 Corinthians 1 talks about this. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So let the one who boasts, boasts in, or boast in the Lord. So this is why we relentlessly point to Jesus. God the Father sent his Son to come to us, to rescue weak, vulnerable, foolish sheep like us. And yet, it's so easy for us to be full of ourselves. Our culture encourages it. It is normal for people to beat their chest, maybe metaphorically or figuratively speaking, right? Maybe not at your job. You're not walking down the hall and be like, oh yeah, I really knocked that one out of the park, right? Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you do. But, but at least figuratively, at times we think this way. We're trained to build our resumes, right? That's what we're trained to do. It's just normal, par for the course in our culture. And yet, what the Bible says with this way of thinking as it pertains to salvation, it's of no advantage to us. None whatsoever. We need Jesus. And so, at the end of the day, we boast in him, not in ourselves. Now, I want to take this one step further. It's not just that as sheep we boast in Jesus and not in ourselves. We also then, while we're boasting in Jesus, we boast in our weakness as well. Not just those things that we view as our strengths, or especially not those things, but we boast in our weakness. So 2 Corinthians 12, a couple verses here. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. So this is Jesus speaking to Paul. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes on, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so those things in our lives that we will do everything we can to avoid, the suffering that none of us wants to walk through, the things that we don't like, the things that maybe we try and hide from other people, Paul is saying those are the things we should boast about so that it's obvious that anything good in our lives is not a result of our strength. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his power and his power working in and through us. So at the end of the day for us, the goal is that We would view ourselves as sheep, needy, dependent on Jesus. To view ourselves as his, as his church, as Jesus's. To find our identity not in anything we achieve or own, but only to find our identity in Jesus. As we talked about the first week of this series, this is what will satisfy us. This is the only thing that will enduringly satisfy us. Psalm 23, verse 1, says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
no qualifications. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When the checkbook is low, when our health is failing, maybe we're not popular in school, but no matter what circumstances might be less than in our lives, we can still find contentment, satisfaction in Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. He's enough. He is enough. And Jesus demonstrates this for us. And as he demonstrates it, so he demonstrates it through his life, his death, his resurrection, right? By coming low and serving people that are below him positionally. Yet he still comes on him. So he, he demonstrates this for us. And as he demonstrates this for us, and it begins to take root, or root in our hearts as well, it's going to begin to shape us and form us and then to be seen in us. And so as this happens then, we will lay down our lives for one another. And this laying down our lives doesn't become a burden, an obligation, a duty that we have to do so Jesus stays happy with us. But it's flowing out of an understanding we are completely dependent on Jesus. Who we are is only because of what he has been and is to us already. And so this isn't a moralistic maxim. Come on, lay your lives down more. No, this is just what a Christian life looks like. When we're looking at Jesus and we're trusting in him and focused on him and he is the one we're trusting in, this will just begin to flow out. And so maybe it's more of a diagnostic, right? Like, am I laying my life down for people? And if not, then the question is, well, what am I trusting in then? Because I must not be trusting in Jesus. Maybe in this area of my life or in this instance or at this, in this season or whatever it might be. But to follow Jesus, to trust in him, leads to this reality. We will lay down our lives for one another. And I'm going to follow that up with gospel application, okay? So it's not about what you do. It's not about how you lay your life down compared to the person next to you. This isn't a contest for us, right? We are still solely uh, sold on Jesus doing everything for us, okay? It's not about who we are or what we do. It's about Jesus and what he has done for us. So two points of gospel application for us briefly as we close. First of all, Jesus identifies as a shepherd. So what's not obvious to us today is the status of a shepherd. Because none of us are shepherds, and we don't know any shepherds. I'm guessing none of us know a shepherd, right? So we don't understand, at least on the surface, right away, like, well, what was the status of a shepherd? Were they super important? No, they, this was a lowly role, okay? So in most families, it's the youngest child. Ah, you go do this, right? Doesn't take any skill for the most part, right? Like, you can, you can just go handle the sheep in many instances. So it was the gruntiest of grunt work. But isn't this like Jesus? He stoops low to care for us. He comes to our level. He does the dirty work 
Sheep were not impressive, but Jesus doesn't care about the status. He loves his sheep, and so he comes to wandering, rebellious, weak, and foolish sheep. To you and to me. And this is good news. So Jesus identifies as a shepherd, but then also Jesus is a good shepherd. And we see this because he doesn't bemoan coming low. He chose it. He willingly comes low. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be here. And this displays his goodness. He is willing to lay his life down, to love in a way and to a degree that is unlike any other that we will experience in our lives. Jesus is trustworthy. He is a good shepherd. So let's look at him. Let's follow him. Let's trust in him.